Millennials have been called entitled, tech-obsessed, and lazy. But some companies are excited by the better qualities of the millennial generation. They want young workers who are highly productive, innovative, and tech-savvy. Within a decade, three out of four U.S. workers will be millennials. So maybe it's time to start figuring out how to integrate them into the business. Welcome to Biz 503. I'm Mike Rogaway, business reporter for The Oregonian, here today with Mark Grimes from NetSpace. Today our topic is millennials in the workplace, what they need, how to build a productive, smart business around them. Joining us now on why millennials have already played a big role in the business world are Josh Netzer, Instructor and Senior Experience Director at the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communications, Tim Grieve, Marketing Team Leader at Portland Online Learning Company Open Sesame, and Katie Augsburger, Senior Manager of Employee Experience at Xplain. Katie, maybe we'd start a little bit with you, if you don't mind. Talk to us a little bit about your workplace and your experience with millennials. I work at a company called Xplain. I have a large population of creatives that work in our group. If we know much about millennials, we know that they are a lot driven by working in the creative industry and trying to figure out what they need, how they can work collaboratively in our group is kind of a unique experience, especially for me when my industry was pretty much traditional in the past. Give me some examples. What sort of things are you trying to do to get the most out of your younger workers? When I first came on board, I had this kind of idea of millennials as a group of people who are just kind of dropped out of outer space or here that we had to deal with as opposed to a group group of people who holistically came into our culture who are unique and have needs that are really needs that everybody has because we have people who grew up with watching parents that were working really long hours and weren't getting ahead and so they're expressing these needs of like hey I want things to be progressive and fast moving. We just have to keep up with that. Josh, Senior Experience Director, which is one of the coolest titles ever. <laughs> Can you uh, kind of describe that and how that relates to millennials in, yeah, the, in a absolutely. college environment? Sure. So what the School of Journalism and Communication has done at U of O is created a, a very high level experiential program for senior students in their last term of school. So we go down to Eugene and we select the top students from the various disciplines in that school, some PR, advertising, journalism, web design, things like that. And we bring them up to Portland for their last term of school. They essentially finish their last couple of classes in Portland, and then they participate in an internship at the same time. In order to even get into the program, they typically have to have something they can bring to the table, which means a previous internship. And then we go out there and we work with a variety of professional partners to have them work with their organization for that last academic term, essentially giving those students a head start on their career and the transition into the workforce before anybody else is graduating college. And to my knowledge, we're the only university doing a program like this on the West Coast. I belong to a couple of national organizations, and no one else is really doing it the way we're doing it. But what we do is we spend a lot of time recognizing that millennials bring high quality to the table, but also that there are some areas that we need to address with them and so they understand a multi-generational workplace, what the expectations are, what are some of the prejudices they have against them, um, and how to mitigate those things. And so we spend a lot of time really trying to create a young, ready-to-go, plug-and-play, high-quality, entry-level employee right before graduation. So the way you described that's interesting because it seems like no other time before have young people been ready to step into jobs based on what's really needed right now. Well, you know, I mean, I think there's always going to be students who have taken advantage of advice from their parents or um, relatives and gotten experience and are ready to hit the ground running. But what we see is that a lot of students really don't know because there's no class in any college about how to get a job or what's expected from you in the workplace or here are things to do every day and here's things not to do. And so they either try by fire, which is they get fired to themselves, or they figure it out on their own, you know, the whole fake it till you make it thing. But we really like to make sure that they understand what sort of the game is and the rules there and then allow them to sort of explore that within those acceptable boundaries. 
boundaries. Josh, are these students about to head to the workplace? Do they identify themselves as millennials? Do they feel oh, yeah. different? Oh yeah, they know. They've uh, they sort of had that pumped into them. This is right towards the end of the millennial curve. This age right now coming through, and so they've had this sort of force fed down their throats. They know both they're looked as and what the expectations are, but sometimes they don't really translate or transition very well from the college environment to the professional environment, and that's both youth and experience, but also sort of how they've been raised. And um, some of those prejudices are true, and some of them are not. But we do see it across the board. They're a little bit different in terms of generational workplace readiness. What do they think of their labels? What do they think of the stereotypes? You know, it's funny. About half of my students are really annoyed when you call them millennials or you start to give them some stereotypes. And the other half sort of embrace it. They realize that's true. You know, a recent study by Time magazine said something around 65% of Americans consider millennials entitled. But millennials themselves, right around 58% of them consider themselves entitled. So they recognize that that's a stereotype and that it's true at some level for many of them. Tim, what are you seeing with millennials as they step into roles at Open Sesame? It's interesting. We have at Open Sesame kind of a unique perspective in we have millennials coming in as both workers, but being an an education resource for companies around the world, we see what these other companies' needs are too for training millennials and what their challenges are. I think from our perspective, one of the key things is the business environment is changed permanently with this generation coming in. There's no going back. There's no changing things back to the way they were. In a significant sense, we're talking about millennials changing organizations, not the reverse that used to be true, where organizations tried to get the employees or the workers to adapt to them. Computers aren't going away. Content isn't going away. All of these things that millennials were raised on that shaped the generation. Can you give me some examples? What what sort of things are you seeing millennials doing that are changing the workplace? You mentioned computers and digital or the online communication, the way millennials choose to interact. I think that's a great example. I mean, if you look at, let's use real-time example today, Slack worldwide was down for a while, right? So communication, millennial generation grew up with all these different inputs, immediate feedback, instant messaging, things like that. So now workplaces have had to adopt those same kind of messaging input circuits. And so when Slack goes down, uh, it seems like workplaces everywhere all of a sudden don't know what to do. But all of these companies have had to adapt to those types of environments. That's what it felt like two hours ago. It felt like it felt like the old days of not getting email. It's like, well, Slack's down. I <laughs> yeah. can't really do anything. Yeah, what do we do? Right, exactly. <laughs> we have to talk. Do you think, so I was at a PSU graduating event for advertising class a couple nights ago. One of the last questions from, from a gentleman that's probably over 50. And he was talking about how all this new content created by people that aren't professionals and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, that's not a question. That was a rant. But second of all, it's like the young people get it. That is content. That is the new thing. Content is marketing, et cetera, et cetera, especially when it's done authentic authentic is that more of a common thing? Are there people like old, over 40 or over 50? Like, do they feel that from millennials? Like, is, is, do they feel this group sneaking up on them where they're kind of past them in some regards? You know, I think they definitely feel the group coming in, being part of the uh, Gen X myself. It's really our responsibility to adapt to the new workplace as the older generation because, like I said, it's not changing. So there's definitely pressure. Realistically, if we're going to be of value to our companies, that's kind of the name of the game anyway, right? I think for I think for the millennial generation, as you mentioned, the, the content creation world has changed. That has changed so many areas of business now. In my realm, in marketing, marketing today is nothing like 
marketing 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it's in a completely different world. The millennial generation is much better suited for that than somebody that's used to running a print ad in some publication, and that's how you got business. Katie, do you find that you need to take particular steps to get the generations to interact or to reach each other? Yeah, I, I think that we have this perception that these groups are at odds or are so different that they won't won't blend or mesh well together. But what I've found actually is that they really do work really well together. And what millennials are asking or pushing for in the workplace are really things that I see that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be passionate and work creatively and have their boss work as a mentor instead of a, like a manager, a traditional manager. And so where we have this narrative that this is a culture clash. I really feel it like it's a culture of collaboration and we're actually getting better for having this kind do, of rub. Do you think it's a bit of the dreams finally realized for the older <laughs> workers? That this is I do. I, I actually do. An example is at our company, we have really progressive work-life balance. This is something that traditionally millennials have pushed for. They want to be able to work when they want and play when they want. I don't know anyone in our workplace who's like, nah, you know, actually I like the nine to five traditional. I don't need to pick up my kids. I don't, you know, need to see my relatives. Everybody benefits. So I feel like they just have a loud voice because there's a lot of them. I think everybody is benefiting from what they're pushing for. What do you guys see as one of the biggest misconceptions that millennials have stepping into the workplace? From our program, what we've seen a lot is that on the employer's side that they're not ready for the workplace, whereas, I mean, that's the misconception that we see. And then they get there and within about two or three days, they found, oh, these are just young people. Like I was a young person once and they just need to have some mentorship and guidance. And then they perform beyond expectations. The student side or the young person side, there's a lot of intimidation for them. They perceive that as because it's new to them. Whereas many of us have worked for, you know, 15 or 20 years, workplace dynamics are a thing that we're sort of used to. For this generation, it's their communication style is usually what gets them in trouble the most. You know, they would prefer to text their boss at the end of the day rather than send an email. They hate picking up the phone to call a client. And some of these industries, like public relations and advertising, are phone-driven industries where you're pitching editors and reporters. They would much rather write an email or send a text. And so once they can figure out, okay, this is how it's done, and they get some confidence, it works really well. But there's always a sort of a learning curve um, on both sides of who this person is going to be and what they're going to be like and how do I get the job done. Um, at least that's what we've seen on our side from our students. Josh, we didn't define terms when we started our conversation, but you mentioned that your seniors right now are at the tail end of the curve. What do you consider the millennial generation to be? Traditionally, I've always, and there's a lot, so you can pick whatever one you want, but I pull one from the book called Millennials, and they basically call it at 1980s and 2000 uh, birth years. And so what we're seeing now is this the tail end of those kids, young people, coming into the workplace. So you have them coming into the workplace for the next five or six years, and then they'll, there'll be a trickle of a new before a new generation is identified, and, and they move forward like that. But that's what I'm calling it, it's 80 to 2000. And we've talked a lot about age defining them, but they're also probably the most diverse generation in American history. Absolutely, absolutely. It's really interesting to watch. They're uh, very inclusive. They have no problem talking across cultures. They are really interested in learning from people all over the world. Being a citizen of the world is very important to them. I find a lot of students who go through college, they come through our program, realize they've made a terrible mistake with their education. They do not want to do what they're doing. Hmm. And so they choose to go do something like teach English abroad for a year or to travel or something that's going to be rewarding in life for them as opposed to just hitting the grind and going to work right away. It's really interesting and unique to watch, and it's kind of fun in some ways. Yeah, it seems like a group who a lot of people, as they get older, that last 10 years of their work cycle, it's kind of like, well, what's my legacy? Yeah. 
the youth seem to be thinking the opposite. They're thinking, how is that baked into their day-to-day work life or startup life? Absolutely. You know, I mean, everybody when they come out of college is very fixated on money and how much they're going to make, and I'm sure they have very unrealistic expectations. But you put that aside, and all of a sudden, they don't really have the dream to buy the house in the first five, ten years. They would much rather have an opportunity to go to Thailand for six months and a workplace that embraced that. They would really like to experience. And I think I think that they're, for many of them, the philosophy is, let's buy experiences and not things. I think that's really wonderful, actually. Tim, when you guys are, are hiring and you're you're considering choosing among millennial candidates for, say, a junior position, what are you looking at to differentiate? What makes a strong candidate? The word passion gets thrown out quite a bit, and, and we use it a lot. But I, I really think that that's a pretty key thing. A real desire to do well. I think there's some challenge in trying to group a generation. Within the generation, there's people that don't want to do anything or, or don't have much drive, let's call it that, and people that have a lot of drive you, you know, within that generation. So that's a big part of it. The other big part of it is, is it going to be a culture match? Are we as a company going to be able to meet the expectations of this person coming in? Because it's a two-way street. I often hear that ar- around culture match and culture expansion, that people are trying to decide, okay, this young person doesn't fit our culture, but maybe our culture should fit them. Is that something you look at and say, boy, this is a a hole right now in what we offer in our work? I'll say I think a good organization should look at that, but I think it's super tough. For Open Sesame, it's, I think, a bit easier as a five-year-old, rapidly growing tech company. That's kind of baked in. But millennials are not just coming into smaller tech companies. You know, if you are a, an SAP or a Siemens of the world, how does it work with that kind of culture that's a, a worldwide organization? It's a different thing. So how do you, with those people as they're coming in and interviewing, rather than going, you know, there's the foosball table, there's the ping pong table, how do you kind of describe the culture match in an authentic way to them so they really see that? So a lot of it is making sure it's, it's one-on-one. And especially in this day when people can telecommute, it gets very challenging to see if you can have a good culture match when you're on the other side of a video screen. Coming in, we do a lot of group interviews that are cross teams so that different people are looking for different things with the candidates and that way maybe get a little bit different read and how they're going to work with everybody because you know we happen to be an open office space which is pretty trendy. Everybody's got to get along and everybody's got to pull their weight. You know to uh, Tim's point we also collect a lot of data from our professional partners. It turns out that most millennials, not most, but many of them will leave an organization after a year. And that's a really costly turnover for an organization when it takes, you know, one and a half to three times their salary to get up to an ROI point. And the most common reason they leave, or at least what they're citing, is not a good fit. And I think fit it dovetails nicely with Tim's point for culture is that how do you produce a world where they want to be at? where they want to stay at because they're unlike previous generations who would stick it out and grind that job until they found a better one. These ones will cut rope and go as fast as they can if they need to. Deloitte just had a great survey last year, beginning of this year, where 66% of millennials don't expect to be at their job by 2020. It's an amazing number. And when you think that an organization, some of their highest costs are acquisition of talent and, and keeping that talent, boy, it's sure in the organization's best interest to try and keep them and do what they can to make a match at the beginning. Katie, it sounds like that's part of your day-to-day responsibility is to make that fit work. Is that right? Absolutely. And culture really is king for millennials and really for everyone, but making sure you have a strong culture and a strong purpose that tails nicely to something outside of the organization is really important. We found millennials and our whole staff is really disconnected if the purpose is 
we want to make more money and we want to make it faster. But if we are doing something larger to help the greater good, we can get a lot of buy-in. Excellent. We're going to take a break now. Today we're talking about how to integrate millennials into the workplace. They're already a significant chunk of the workforce. We're told their value is different from those of previous generations, so let's talk about building a successful workplace with multiple generations. Joining us now, Scott Sadler, speaker, coach, and millennial mentor at Creative Conflict Resolutions. Welcome, Scott. Chris Von Krenner, co-founder of Hunter Von Krenner. And still with us, Josh Netzer with University of Oregon. Scott, Creative Conflict Solutions. Can you kind of go into a little bit of detail of, of that and how it relates to millennials? I'm an executive coach and a national speaker, and I focus in three areas. Millennials in the workforce, mindfulness in the workforce, and executive coaching is leadership skill. Those three things work really nicely with millennials because of the need that millennials have to have uh, coaching as a management style. And they're very mindful. It's the most mindful generation in history. So I do a lot of speaking on those three topics. What sort of things can you offer millennials? What sort of suggestions do you make that you might not make to a prior generation? I know the moniker is millennial mentor, but I'm the millennial mentor for the organization on how to attract, retain, and Got engage it. millennials. If you'd like me to talk to that, I can yes, really speak do. to that. Yes, please do. What I talk to organizations about is the importance of engagement right out of the gate. Millennials need a ton of engagement. It's just the way it is. And we don't have time today to go into all the, all the reasons why, but that's what we get into in my, my workshops. But there's many reasons why. Sometimes an employer will be the first authority figure a millennial will know because of helicopter parenting and uh, different parenting styles. So it's important for employers to understand that, that if they're getting pushback or they're not really able to retain and engage with a millennial, it's maybe they're, they're the first authority figure. The second thing is the coaching is a leadership skill. Millennials need a lot of feedback and they need a lot of validation. And validation is the number two human need for all human beings. Number one is safety and security. So if they feel safe and secure in a work environment and they're being validated and they're getting the feedback, daily feedback is really important according to the latest Gallup polls. And that could be a tweet or, I mean, I'm sorry, a text or an email or just a pat on the back uh, to say you're doing a good job or I need you to do something different. But they need a lot of communication and many employers don't have the patience for that. They're learning, but right now they don't have the patience for that. As they're learning and, and talking about the different communication styles here, we're talking in an earlier segment about millennials will be that little bit more towards texting and Slack and social media, not really wanting to phone as much and connect in that way. What kind of challenges is that going to create in the workplace? Is it creating right now? It is creating huge challenges. I sometimes put together a millennial panel. I'll do a two-hour workshop and then I'll bring in a millennial panel so these employers can grill these millennials without it being their own staff. And the number one thing that comes up is just what you just described. Don't call me. I don't want to use the phone. And these millennials are very adamant about that. My panel millennials. And I should probably point out that everything I share about millennials is representative of the generation. It's not definitive, just like any generation. So I want to make sure it's clear that I'm not, st- I don't want a stereotype, but these are facts that millennials do not want to use the phone. They want to be texted. They want to use Slack. They want to use instant messenger. So if you're not, if you don't have that in your organization or your organization is not utilizing technology, you're not going to attract, retain, and create any kind of engagement that you're going to have any sustainable effects of for your organization. Chris, I see you nodding there. I can definitely agree to that. If I can't check my phone once an hour and if you're giving me phone calls, I'm not happy. I mean, I, I'm an adult. I, can, I know how to use a cell phone, but I would <laughs> much rather receive a text message or an email. It's just more practical. I don't need to be on the phone with you explaining everything that could be sent in an email that I can then read over at my own pace. If I miss something, I can just read it again. It's all right there in front of me. I certainly don't want to be talking for hours on a phone. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, what kind of work you do, and how old you are. I'm almost 27. My company does design, web development, and social media managing, so very millennial-esque things. I'm perpetually a great excuse. I can just check Facebook and say I'm working. <laughs> (laughs) But I mean, I I need
need that. Like, I am constantly bombarded and fed with information. And if, if I'm told I can't look at my phone, I am suddenly, it's, it's a bad taste in my mouth. I relate it to a smoke break. You know, people are allowed to go take a cigarette for five minutes. It only takes me five minutes less than that to look at my phone. And I feel satisfied. I feel like I've garnished some information that I want. And then I can go about my business. In our prior segment, we were talking with Josh here of the way millennials see themselves. How do you see the millennial generation? To what degree are, are people imposing stereotypes on younger workers? And to what degree are people observing correctly? This is how the... Some of them are true. I've worked way more jobs than I feel like previous generations have to get here. I'm prone to quit a job if I don't like it. I have no problem handing it in two weeks. Currently, I have my company, but I also... There's a common term between us. It's the side hustle. I'm perpetually side hustling. I don't work just one job. I have other forms of revenue that I like to do. But the difference is, is that these don't bug me as much. I enjoy doing each and every one to a certain extent. And although I might not pay a lot individually, collectively, I find that I get what I need from it. So because you're in communications, i got to ask this question, having done some dialogue the last few months with millennials and people that age, in texting them, I'm finding a lot of times I'm getting back like moving graphic images as oh. responses. Oh, yeah. And I'm like an otter on its back eating a carrot. I don't know how to take that. Right? How does it make you feel? Right, exactly. How does it make you feel? That feeling you get inside, it, that's the answer. You know, if you get a gift or an image yeah. of any sort, whatever that emotion that elicits, that's what they're telling you. That's how I take it anyway. And it's becoming a lot more common, yeah? I mean, oh, that's yeah. a whole new thing right now. Picture says a thousand words, Picture, doesn't it, okay. you know? It's typical of the experience that you're seeing from your students. You can see when, to Chris's point, when students start to fidget in the middle of a lecture, you know, got a three-hour lecture, and they're getting a little, little anxious there at about the 45-minute mark, and they're, they're surreptitiously want to check their phones, but you know they're doing it because they're smiling at their crotch, and you're like, <laughs> but... <laughs> at least you hope. Right. Yeah. And, and, they, and they are, and that's fine. Ten years ago when I was teaching, that was sort of an unacceptable practice. Now it's just par for the course. Or, you know, even weirder is they start whipping out their phone and taking pictures of your PowerPoint slides because they don't want to take notes by hand. At first, it was very disconcerting, and now it's, I'm sure I'm in thousands of pictures across the, the state giving lectures, and that's just part of the adaption. I think Chris's point is right on, that there is a different method of communication, they have different priorities, and we can embrace those because they're not going away. It's sort of like, how can we all agree and move forward? And as long as there's a way and a path to do that, adapting is not going to be a big deal. You were saying earlier, though, things like learning to talk on the phone are skills some people yeah, have to develop. absolutely. I mean, for especially when, you know, the fields in the SOJC that we pull our interns from, and those, some of those are very specific client, they're dealing with clients, high dollar clients in, in industries where phone conversation is expected. A McDonald's account at an advertising firm is paying $60,000 a month for whatever it is. They expect whoever's working on their account to pick up the phone and answer when they call. A text is not going to cut it. But I think you can help a millennial understand that by explaining to them who this person is in their generation and what those expectations are and if this is sort of what the industry is like. And I think they get that. And it's not hard. They're not going to they're realize what the business world is like when they're there. And, and if they like the business, they're going to do it th that way. But sometimes it's coaching. Like nobody likes to pick up a phone and call a reporter or an editor and make a pitch. And that's tough to do. It's a cold call. In many ways, public relations is a sales job for liberal arts majors. And they don't tell you that in college. But you get there and you're given a phone and a book and a list of people to call, get some coverage for our clients. They got to adapt. Some millennials love it and some hate it. And those things really can sort of be the diverging factors for whether or not they like that career. One of the other things I've seen recently, too, is this kind of influx of Pomodoro work styles, which is like 20, 25 minute chunks of focused work. Then you take five or 10 minutes off then go back into it. And that seems to a certain degree millennial driven, too, which is like sitting down and focusing on something for six hours in a row is probably not going to happen with this group necessarily. Uh, yeah, I think that reflects sometimes in their academic work because you can see a paragraph where it ended and then maybe sort of threw a sentence on later on or and that's the style sometimes you even see sms shorthand in the middle of an academic paper which really isn't appropriate but a lot of times it's just giving feedback to the point i can't work that way like if i focus i'm going to write this thing i have to write this academic paper or this presentation i'm going to do that and just that and turn off all my outside influences whereas for this population it seems like that what you describe that spurt working is
is very effective for them. And that's sort of how they've adapted to work. And um, if it works for them and they get high quality products at the end, I, I don't have a problem with it. But it is definitely different than my style. Scott, do you find employers wringing their hands, throwing up their arms in frustration saying, can't do this? Or are, are people eager to, to try and make this work? A lot of frustration. It depends on the part of the country we're talking about too. Josh mentioned something that kind of sparks something I want to talk to. And that is that one of the most popular talks that I do is a generation's talk, not just a millennial talk, because it's important that other generations, that millennials understand previous generations and where we're coming from. I'm an Xer. I was telling Chris that I'm an Xer with a millennial mindset. So I kind of understand both. But there are a lot of traditionalists that do not have a clue about why millennials are the way they are. But millennials need to understand why traditionalists are the way they are. And then we can have dialogue. If you think back to your career, it was pretty much frowned upon to talk about generations in the workforce. You just didn't do it. But how great would it be if a millennial was to be put with a traditionalist and mentor, have some mentorship opportunities both ways so there could be some understanding. Then we can begin to change cultures in a workplace. But only with the conversation starting can we begin to change those cultures. And Gallup's recent numbers show that millennial turnover due to lack of engagement costs the U.S. economy $30.5 billion annually. That's not motivating for organizations to take a hard look at this culture change that needs to occur. I don't know what is because that's, most that's, millennials have 20 jobs in their lifetime. That's the cost of bringing up a new employee and yeah. getting them up to speed. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things having seen in that in the past, I've kind of preferred to hire younger people anyway because they don't know what they can't do and they're innovative and they're not afraid to try new and different things. So they'll right. do it and it may or may not work. So as long as you're comfortable as an employer doing that. And along those lines, can you talk a little about, uh, Chris, about, I don't want to call them newer things because podcasts obviously aren't new over the last 10 years, but it's kind of been an upswing. And can you kind of explain how that relates to millennials and why that? We like listening about things we want to listen about. TED Talks are huge amongst my generation. You talk to anybody, any millennial, and they've at least seen a dozen TED Talks about things they interest. Podcasts, funny you, you bring that up. I host my own podcast. Why? Because I can, because I know how to use a microphone and a computer, because I got something to say. Maybe somebody wants to listen to it. You were discussing about how we can only work for 20 minutes at a time and then need a break. I'm 100% in that same boat. I will focus 20 minutes of hard work and then have to go do something else, read a book, do some other project. I'm perpetually juggling at least six projects at a time. And maybe that's the ADD in me or our ADD generation. We're bombarded with information constantly. I need that. I need to be able to have multiple tasks. I get bored if I have to do one thing singularly for six hours. I, I can do that. I mean, you know, I've learned the skill, just like you said, talking on the phone. I can do that as well, but I don't want to. I will look for another way to do it. It's working smarter instead of working harder. As a, as a designer, that's a huge thing that was thrown around constantly in school. Work smart, not hard. And I feel like our entire generation has kind of adopted that. You know, if you do not have to bust your butt doing something, there's no need to it. Uh, we, we've grown up with smartphones and the internet. I mean, I remember growing up learning how to have to punch in just a URL on the website. Now you just click a button on your phone and it takes you to your email immediately. You don't even have to do that much work. It's just done for you. And as such, I don't want to I don't want to have to go do that work again. It seems redundant. Do you find the way you work when you are interacting with older professionals, do you find them accepting of that understanding? My mom was a German lady, so I was raised quite strictly. And I think in my case, I can kind of just adapt to that. And I feel like I'm the one adapting more to the other generation. I do not feel like I'm catered to. I feel like I am catering to uh, however I'm supposed to work by somebody else. In our prior segment, that's interesting, in our prior segment, it seemed like there was a sense that the, the older generation sees the younger generation doing what always thought it should have been done and racing to do that. But you don't find that. I, no, I agree with that. But if, if I have a boss that tells me how to do something, I'm not going to turn around and tell him no. I, I understand that I am the younger one, the employee. And as such, you know, I will have suggestions. But I, I was talking to Scott over here. You're talking about coaching. And I, I like that idea. I feel like my opinion should be valued. I do 
not like working someplace where I say something and it is completely disregarded because of my age, because of my experience, what have you. It's been great when young people bring energy and innovation, but their relaxed vibe can cause conflict. Today on Biz 503, we're talking about millennials and how companies are adjusting to the attitudes and the vibe of the generation. Now we're going to focus on what to do when generations clash in the workplace and how to work with millennial employees rather than against them. Rejoining us now, Tim Gree with Open Sesame, Scott Sadler of Creative Conflict Solutions, and Katie Augsberger from Xplane. Conflict. I know one of the things that you guys do, you do this kind of creative learning lab thing, an evening like once a month, mm-hmm. and, and I have a feeling a lot of this gets brought into that. So can you share with listeners a little about You're talking about our visual thinking school. That's exactly yes. it. Thank you. So our visual thinking school is a little bit of a forum for people to learn and also a little bit of a playground for our employees to practice, to be a little bit of a practitioner if they don't have experience doing it, and to hone their skills. So it's a great way for people to just get out there, practice without having to do those traditional classes, which sometimes you have you struggle getting millennials to go to. So it's a really great way for them to learn. Seems like it's a real a way to learn, but also kind of an experiential thing, because there is no right or wrong. There's just doing it and making happen and it's the experience yeah. that counts. We really believe in like taking risk out loud, failing on a grand scale. This allows people to do it nine times out of ten. It's not a failure. It's fantastic, but it allows people to do it, practice it, do it well, make mistakes, but not necessarily make mistakes in front of a client, make mistakes in front of a free audience. So, And that's something that people are feeling more comfortable, making them feel more comfortable in learning the way they're doing this yeah. kind of work. We really believe in allowing people to grow in a way that is natural and collaborative and not about shaming, which a lot of, to be honest, a lot of traditional companies and HR included, I, I say this as an HR person, shame is a big part of our toolkit. And in our company, it's all about like moving away from that. And I've seen that really work well with millennials moving towards like building on your strengths at a VTS, at a visual thinking school, it's building on what you're really good at, as opposed to pointing out the flaws that people are doing poorly, kind of pushing your finger on that. Tim, at Open Sesame, how are you making the workplace a welcoming product? No, I think, again, it, a lot of it comes back to culture. Great example is uh, every couple of weeks we have a company retrospective. Wherever our staff is anywhere in the world, whether they're here in the home office or uh, anywhere else, we all get together, talk about everything uh, that's gone on, take a look. If there are issues, bring them up. The time has been designed to be one that you can get something off your chest without fear of retribution because everybody knows we're there for the benefit of the organization and each other. So it's all about the right kind of feedback to make things better than they were before. When you look at like what Tony Shea has done with Zappos and some of the amazing things he's done, not the least of which after going through a two-week intense training offer people whatever's up to like seven or $8,000 now to not take the job. Mm-hmm. That seems like just a millennial sweet spot, quite frankly. You know, because the people working there get to tell the stories about working for a truly amazing company. Is that the direction kind of everything's going for millennials? Is that what they want or is that kind of pushed to the extreme side? I think that everybody's dealing with expectations, right? The organization is dealing with expectations of the worker coming in. But nowadays, the organization has to meet the expectations of the worker. And so the organization has to take a look. Okay, if I'm not doing things 
things that, you know, I pitched them, I've sold them, they're coming here, they're highly sought after, and then I'm falling short as the organization, then I've got to do something to change it. We as an organization don't want to be fired by the employee. So so I think that's a, a big key thing is making sure that we are evaluating ourselves as an organization in order to meet those expectations of the incoming workers. Scott, I, I wonder to what degree the economy right now is empowering the new generation of workers. If it were seven years ago or so, we might be saying, well, the employer is calling the shots. There's a lot more people looking for work than there are jobs available. And it's the reverse now. we got 4.5% unemployment in Oregon. Employers really have to cater to the workers that they're trying to find. Will that switch at some point in the future? I think it's important to remember that when we talk about millennials, most of my clients tend to focus on the younger millennials, but millennials are 35 years old. They've been through this. And I think that Tim made some great points. I think the cultures are going to have to change. In fact, we need to provide inspiration for our organizations have to provide inspiration and develop collaborative work cultures. 68% of millennials who get this will stay on a job for another year. We have to look at what we used to call soft skills aren't so soft anymore. I love what you said. You don't want to be fired by your employee. That's a cultural thinking process that most organizations don't have. And when they wonder why they're having turnover, they look at the strategy and they look at the bottom line and the numbers. And millennials don't want to work for organizations that are just focused on bottom line. They know it's important and they want to be a part of that, but they're looking at companies that are doing something more or something for the greater good. Well, I don't think that employers are feeling like they're not in the driver's seat anymore, but I think it's a really organic shift more than just the economy because they're starting to sink in. I get calls every day. Why can't I keep my staff? I don't know what to do. It starts with a conscious decision from leadership, to Tim's point, to make a culture that will attract millennials. And one more point, millennials' best referral for work are other millennials. And in the technology world we live in today, they're talking. So you're probably fired before you even get an interview if you're an employer and you're not treating your millennials well. I do wonder to the degree to which the fact that millennials feel so free to leave is the fact that they know there's another job out there and that five years from now or five years ago, that might not have been possible. On the other hand, numerically, as you say, it's people up to 35 now. It's the largest single segment in the workplace right now. So millennials are dictating the culture just numerically. That's who they are. That's, That's true. And if you look at the different generations, boomers live to work, Xers work to live, and millennials live and then work. They're not afraid. Chris mentioned earlier, he talked about, uh, I can't remember the term you used, a gig economy where I have a bunch of different jobs. They'll walk off your job because they're a barista in the morning and a bartender at night and they work. They don't care about the longevity if you're not treating them right or it doesn't fit their lifestyle. So that has a big impact, not just the economic figures and the uh, unemployment. So it seems like 25 or 30 years ago, corporations were kind of very Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Very focused on any word I can't say out of that movie, but focused on the bottom line. (laughs) Then it seems like things transitioned to the very customer focused. Focus on the customers and the customer needs. Not necessarily the bottom line, but Mm -hmm. that's a part of it. And now it's become very employee focused to the benefit of the millennials and and the younger people past them. And ultimately to the benefit of the business, frankly. I'm a 30-year entrepreneur. I've employed hundreds of people and I can tell you that I was at my best and my companies were at their best when I had the employees' best interest at heart. My customers got better service my profits were higher, my retention was better. We already know this stuff. It's just traditional cultures in business are very difficult and slow to change. But leadership is figuring it out and they're starting to make the shift. I don't know if millennials can think it's fast enough, but it is occurring out there from what I'm seeing. The whole discussion that we haven't heard a lot of pushback against millennials. We haven't heard that older generations really are pushing back against that. Katie, is that right? Or is there some degree of resistance? Anytime there's newness, it is scary for people and it is easy to villainize and 
be concerned that it's changing too fast or the millennials just don't get it. I think that exists. Anecdotal story. I was in a meeting once with a executive leader and we were doing a training on millennials and he stood up and he's like, they just need to get it. They just need to get it. And I looked at him and was like, you know, there's more of them than there are of you. <laughs> They're coming for you and you are leaving. So get on board. And that's really the option is to kind of get on board to understand that this is changing. The change has already happened. We already have, like Tim said earlier, we already have the technology. Nothing is going backwards. You do really want to figure out how to embrace this change and to figure out how this change is going to be advantageous for you as opposed to be a threat. Do you think millennials in the way they live and can live in Portland is different than millennials in other large cities? Or in what way is it different? I think Portland is a little ahead of the curve. We are a real exciting young, you know, people have said before that this is where young people go to retire and there is truth to that. You know, we have a very young population. I think we're doing some things that are new and exciting here that other people are starting to adopt and I think that there is a culture here of outdoorsiness and creativeness that kind of forces businesses to be a little bit more flexible and to have a broader understanding of what your employees like to do outside of the workplace. Are there ways that employers or best practices for employers to sort of get in tune with what workers are doing outside the workplace and how it contribute to the company's mission as opposed to distracting from it? This is one area where technology helps us all out. Constant streams of social media that we have, there used to be a distinct barrier between your work life and your home life. There was a distinct barrier between leadership in an organization and everybody else that works there. Well, that has to go away and has been going away. And so as you you have connections in social media, you're seeing people's life outside of their workday, you're able to have those conversations and you're able to have a deeper understanding of what their needs are, what their passions are. And if you're a good leader, you're able to help channel those both to the benefit of the staff member and the organization. You say if, if you're a good leader, you can channel that. If you're a bad leader, does it get out of hand? What happens? <laughs> well, it, bad leaders, uh, We've all had experience with bad leaders. Those are the people typically, in my opinion, that are, are least open to change. You know, as we've been talking about here today, it's not going back. So you can either adapt or die, right? The, the classic conundrum, there's no option. I'd like to tag on to Tim's comment. You know, bad leaders don't call me for executive coaching. Right? <laughs> Only progressive uh, thought leaders really want to know how they can be better and how they can adapt. And when it comes to millennials, it's no different. Uh, bad leaders know they're bad leaders leaders and they want to keep it that way. They want to kind of keep it where, you know, I'm not going to let anybody in. And eventually, to Tim's point earlier, they get fired by their employees. Other than employers calling you and saying, you know, we've got bad turnover, we need to fix that. What are some of the other signs they're seeing when they know things aren't maybe going as well with their... 71% are active, of millennials are actively disengaged or not engaged. And of that 71%, 16% are actively disengaged. That means 55% are indifferent. They're just indifferent. And you have to show them how to engage. Engage. So that's the number one thing I get calls about is how do I inspire, how do I engage with them? Many people don't know how to inspire millennials. My first suggestion is ask your millennials. <laughs> you got them. They're right there. Ask them what they need and listen to what they have to say. Remember Chris earlier said, I need to be heard. And millennials need validation. They need to be heard. You don't have to take everything they say and put it into a policy or a, a procedure or a product, but they just need a voice. And so that just requires validation and engagement, having conversations. One of my clients says, 30-minute phone calls every month with a CEO. It's a webinar. And they can just ask questions. They can submit questions ahead of time. They get answered. A great idea, and it's a good way to keep them engaged. Co-creation and working with millennials to 
create the environment that you want your company to be in is incredibly important. We invite our employees into conversations all the time when we're changing something, and it does slow the process down sometimes, but you also get a richer and more robust program out of it. So we often like pose the question, how do you want to receive feedback? How would you like these meetings to be structured? What would you like your benefits plan to look like? And that really is something that millennials respond really well to. They want to be involved in the decision, even if the decision turns out to not be the one that they want, they at least know that they were involved in the conversation. And I hear that. The other thing I keep thinking to myself is who doesn't want to be heard at the workplace, right? Yeah. doesn't matter what generation it is. So that if the case is that the millennial generation brought that forward and made the organization change and adapt to that, great, everybody benefits, all generations mm-hmm. benefit. Because we all like to know that we have a voice and that we matter and we make a difference. The difference is that previous generations would just suck it up, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, remember, work to live and, and live to work. And millennials just go, forget it. My buddy down the street said working over at ABC companies better. And then he lay listen to me. So I'm out of here where traditional uh, previous generations, you know, would not leave without a job, for example. Yeah. They would just suck it up. Older generations didn't necessarily have the forms in which to do it and the structure. We have created a structure now where if I don't like a restaurant, I'm on Yelp and I can tell everybody. Mm-hmm. And there was not a Yelp 60 years ago. There wasn't a Yelp 10 years ago. We have Glassdoor. We have all of these places where employees are reviewing us all the time. And there wasn't that system and structure 10 years ago to our grandparents and to our parents. It wasn't that they were just like, "Ah, you know, whatever, I like my job. It's just that there was no (laughs) forum for them to voice their opinion. And now we have created this forum and then we're kind of surprised when millennials use it. No, we have asked for people's opinion and now they're giving it and we need to be responsive. Katie, I'm curious. As a reporter, I look at Glassdoor and I think, well, I don't know what to make of it. What do you make of it? when I look at Glassdoor every day. <laughs> I look at Glassdoor every day. I don't just look at us. I look at all of our competitors, too. Glassdoor and the sites like it are critical. And if you're a business leader and you're not looking at Glassdoor, you are missing an opportunity. What sort of things does it tell you? What sort of things do you um, think your, your workers are telling you? And why are they telling it, saying it there rather than yeah. walking up to well, you? Well, luckily at... At our organization, people feel pretty free. So we don't have a lot of activity on Glassdoor. So knock on wood, super good good thing. Um, so we have people just tell me what they like and don't like. But at other organizations, if you don't have a transparent culture and a culture where people feel like they can give feedback freely, then Glassdoor is where you're going to get it. And it can be really ugly to find that stuff out after the fact because not only are you reading it, but all your potential recruits are reading it. Really, if you don't have a transparent and feedback culture to start with, that's where you're going to find that stuff out. And that's a really hard place to find those things out. Millennials want and or expect or demand transparency and openness and this or that. What shouldn't be transparent there, right? Everybody understands cash flow of a company now Mm -hmm. with things that 20 years ago they didn't get. I really believe that what you can share, you share. And if you can't share, you say why you can't share it. So there's absolutely things that we have to keep confidential and explain. I don't tell everybody everybody's salary, but I say why I don't. But I do share what I can. I say, you know, here's the reasons why I'm not going to share personal salary, but here's what I'll tell you about. And people understand that and they're really responsive. But if it feels like you're being shifty and hidey, people are going to dig and conspiracy theories are going to come out. I like
like to just be transparent and say, warts and all, here's where we're great, here's where we suck. And I feel like most millennials are like, mm, okay, I can get on board with that. Every Monday morning, we talk to our company about our financials, about big changes that are happening. And once a quarter, we spend three hours in a deep dive about everything that's happening in the organization. So it is a lot of transparency. It's a little overwhelming and it's a little scary, but we feel like it's the right move for us. And you're not a public company or you are? We're a private company. You are. Okay. So you don't have to. We don't have to do it. No, okay. We don't have to do it, but we do it because we feel like it is authentic and honest and it is just who we want to be as an organization. Tim, you, you mentioned the retrospective. You do it Open Sesame. Was that every two weeks, you say? We do it every two weeks, organization-wide. In fact, I missed ours today for <laughs> this broadcast. So maybe they're listening in as well and making sure that I'm saying the right things. <laughs> but every two weeks and top down, everybody in the organization. I wonder to what degree when employees raise something, to what degree is the effort to do what Katie was saying and say, give a candid answer and a painful explanation sometimes? I think if you do those meetings the right way, it's going to have all of those things in it. If we end up in a situation where people don't feel comfortable asking the questions, then we have a problem. There is still an obligation to ask those questions in a way that's beneficial to the organization. Just like you would have any other meeting, if it's accusational, if it's done to get back at somebody rather than, hey, you know, we're in this boat together. We've had some challenges. Let's talk about this in a way that's going to benefit us all. I think that's kind of more of a key point in, in how you approach those things. And it's everybody's responsibility to do that. So as we wrap up here, around the table once really quick, one good piece of advice to employer looking to a millennial bringing them on board. Just a quick piece of advice. Be very open to making sure that you're satisfying the millennials' expectations, especially as they want to approach advancement in their career, becoming better. I focus on four areas, engagement, mentorship, collaborative culture, and coaching is a skill in your in your organization. If you do those four things well, you're going to attract a lot of really great millennials great. to your organization. And I would say the big thing for me would be to check your assumptions, to not assume that in, these are entitled and lazy people, that they might just be vocal and have a very different idea about work life. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you to all our guests today, Josh Netzer, University of Oregon, Katie Augsburger, X-Plane, Tim Grieve, Open Sesame, Scott Sadler, Creative Conflict Solutions, and Chris von Krenner of Hunter von Krenner. Thank you.